Welcome to Imposters, the show where I talk to world-class execs, athletes, and entertainers about their personal challenges and how overcoming those challenges has shaped their careers and lives for the better. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. We're doing something a little different today. It's a condensed version of our show, which we're calling Mental Health Toolkit. Instead of giving you a full narrative of our guest and how they got to where they are today, we're cutting to the core of it by giving you the toolkit that they fall back on when going through challenging times. My guest today is Ayana Gray. Ayana is the author of the hit fantasy series, Beasts of Prey, which became an instant New York Times bestseller when it was first published in 2021. This past July, Ayana published the series sequel, Beasts of Ruin, also to great success, and the series is also already in development at Netflix to be made into a feature film. This is very much the type of dream come true success that many authors aspire to, and Ayana has already reached it at the age of 29. But Ayana has also been public about the fact that at times she feels imposter syndrome around her success as well as deep fear of failure. My full conversation with Ayana Gray and how she manages these challenges right after this quick break. Ayana Gray, welcome to Imposter. So great to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you are 29, you are a writer, and you already have a book that hit number four on the New York Times bestseller list with the, your debut book, which is Beasts of Prey. It's been this massive cultural success. Steph Curry shouted it out. And now it's actually getting adapted into being a feature film on Netflix. All of that being said, all of this amazing success that you've had at such a young age, you still have shared that you suffer from imposter syndrome. So I, I would love for you to, to tell me, how does this manifest for you? What does it feel like? And how do you navigate it? Sure. Um, you know, it's interesting because you hear about imposter syndrome in, in so many different scenarios and in different industries and at in different points of your life, but no one really tells you how to prepare for it or what it actually is like to go through it. And I think for me, my imposter syndrome comes from two different places. Number one, anytime you want something for a really long time and then get it, there's a really strange set of feelings that comes with that as you process. And so, I mean, I wanted to be, I, I, I've wanted to have a book out in the world since I was nine years old. I'm now 29. So you have a dream for 20 years and then suddenly it's, it's now realized. That's just a strange feeling. And you don't feel like it's happening to you. A lot of times I feel like I'm kind of looking down at somebody else and watching it all happen to them, which is a strange uh, feeling to describe to people. But then the other piece of it comes from the fact that when you look at entertainment industries, especially whether you're an actor, a singer, a writer, a poet, um, anything in the entertainment industry, we know that it's not a meritocracy. These are not meritocracies. We know that sometimes you have very, very talented people who do all the right things, create beautiful art, write good books, make good music, make good movies, and don't get the recognition. And you know that there are people who maybe didn't have to work as hard, who get all of those awards and recognition and more. And so then there's this question of where do I fall on that spectrum? Do I really deserve to be here? Is there somebody who's worked harder than me who maybe deserves it more? Um, so it's it's a really complicated feeling. And so 
how do you reconcile it? How do you, on one hand, hold kind of this pride that you have in feeling accomplished and and accepting that you've done an amazing job with something, you know, 20 years in the making, but at the other time, handle the emotion of almost it feeling surreal, feeling like you're removed from your body, having questions about were you deserving of this? Like, what do you do with those feelings when you have them? It changes all the time, you know, because there are some days when I can isolate and say, okay, I know that this is imposter syndrome. What I'm dealing with, like you can kind of self-acknowledge and self-evaluate and say, I know this is not real. But there are days when it feels very real where I really sincerely question, like, you know, what do I deserve it? Um, and I have different things in place. I think the biggest thing that's been helpful to me is having a community of people, be it my parents, be it my siblings, be it other authors who have either got on this ride with me and we got agents together and we got book deals together and they've literally been side by side with me or authors who are ahead of me who have felt this way before and can advise me on what they do. Um, sometimes I just look at my book. I just like, I physically hold my book and I'm like, you know, this is a 500 page book. I didn't, I didn't print some two page thing out and say, here you go. Like you can very clearly <laughs> see that I wrote 130,000 words and, and that's not even what I wrote. That's what made it <laughs> to publication. Um, I can look at the old drafts of my work and see the time and see that the emails time stamped all the way back to 2015 when I started writing Beasts of Prey. And I remind myself that this is not an overnight success story, or if it is, it's a five-year overnight success story because I've been writing this book for a very long time and I've been writing even longer than that. My mom is very good at reminding me, like, you deserve it because I've watched you work on it for such a long time. So it's it's oftentimes the community and the people around me who I lean on. Well, it's so interesting, even if the, in those few examples you shared, like looking back at the drafts, <laughs> looking at the book and realizing it's a 500-something page book. like it seems like all these things you're doing, you're having to check and revalidate that you put in work that you feel was worthy of receiving the success that you had. It's an interesting thing. Yeah, and and I also don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, to be very frank with you, there are certain communities of people who are kind of told, just be grateful you're here and and just, you know, kind of stay quiet. Don't take up too much space. And so that's that's an element of it too. I realize that I have been conditioned as a black woman to to feel some of the ways I feel, to make sure I'm modest, not too braggadocious, you know, very humble. And I have to, it, the thing is looking at other people helps me remind myself, like when I see my other friends who are women, friends who are black, friends who are black women, putting themselves down, questioning whether they deserve it, I, I get mad. And I'm like, you absolutely deserve to be here. And so there's this question of why is it so easy for me to hype my friends and, you know, yell at them and tell them like, you deserve to be here. But you know, it's when I do it to myself, it, it's weird. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, so they help. Yeah. Totally. Well, I think that community piece, as you mentioned, can just be so crucial in reaffirming um, and giving you the confidence to just continue to push forward and be proud of the work that you've done. Something else that you've talked about in kind of what motivates you, or at least a part of what motivates you is this, this fear of failure. Why is that something that motivates you? Yeah. So fully aware that failure is a part of life. And I think failure actually can be healthy, but that doesn't, that doesn't make it less scary. <laughs> that doesn't make it um, something I, I want to avoid any less. Um, the way I, I compare it because I'm a writer and everything's visual for me. I think about climbing a mountain 
And so the higher you climb, the better the view. You're getting better and better views. You're getting to be more and more alone with nature. It's really beautiful, but you're also very keenly aware that the higher you go, the, the higher, the you know, the steeper the fall. If you do stumble, it's more and more dangerous as you get to the top of the mountain. And so there's this constant duality happening. Um, but for me, I know that there are, as a children's author, I know that there are kids who are counting on me because they've never... They've never been exposed to books where they see themselves. They, some of them are reluctant readers who literally were not reading until their parent gave them my book and then now suddenly they're reading. And I can fail in other, in other regards, but I can't fail them. And so when I get tired, when I wonder why am I doing this, uh, it's, it's the kids especially and the readers who I know have been impacted by, by my book that I, I can't fail them. And that's what I, part of what I use to, to motivate myself. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll hear about how Ayana finds inspiration when she's running low on it and what's in her mental health toolkit. Stay with us. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What does failure look like to you? Like if you were to visualize failure, which I would not suggest is the best <laughs> exercise to do on a regular basis for yourself. Um, but what, yeah, what does failure look like within your career? Oh gosh, there's so many, there are so many variations of failure too. That's another thing that makes it scary. But, <laughs> but I think in the context that I just talked about, you know, I never want to get to a point where I'm just telling stories that lack heart stories that don't have some sort of message or genuine piece of myself. I was listening to a speech by Neil Gaiman recently, and he was saying that when you feel at your most naked and at your most exposed, when you are uncomfortable, and I'm paraphrasing, but when he said, he said, you know, when you are naked and exposed, that is when you are creating good art. That is when you are being most true. And so my hope and my goal as a, as a ch children's author, especially, is to always make sure that when I write, when I put books out into the world, that I am being true to myself and I am, I'm being honest. Because when you are honest, people connect with that. So for me, failure is writing stories that are shallow. It's writing stories that are inauthentic. It's writing stories that don't do what I set out to do. And I set out to write stories that especially center and celebrate Black people, Black kids, and allow them to see themselves in places where historically we know that they've not gotten to occupy. And does part of that fear come from a place where now that you've had success as an author and inevitably there are going to be more opportunities to both, you know, write more books, get bigger advances, have those turned into films, that there is inevitable pressure to just crank out more content that is shallower in nature and you want to make sure that you're proactively avoiding that from happening? Yeah, I mean, like like I said, in any entertainment industry, it's the, the bottom line and profit is important. And so for people who are not creative, I think there's this, well, why can't you just create more books faster? And I wish I could write like two books a year and then churn them out. And there are some authors who can, I am not one of them. And so there's this temptation of, well, do I want to 
write more books maybe and make my publisher happy or maybe make other people happy because I'm churning out these books really fast? Or do I want to write books that I know are true and might take a little bit longer? There is a young adult author who I really admire named Seba Tahir. And I remember I was kind of agonizing writing my second book, you know, feeling like I have this deadline and I'm really stressed about it, but I know the book's not ready. And she said, look, readers might be mad at you if you push a book back, if you if you take longer. But when the book comes out and it's good, they'll forgive you. What readers will not forgive is you putting out a book that is not good and putting out a book that they can tell is bs And I always try to remem- remind myself That's of that. That's such good too. advice. Yeah. And she said it and it was so simple. And I was like, you're right. That's it. Um, so for me, that's that's from an artistic perspective, that's failure. It's, it's changing out who I am and who I started as. And kind of losing myself in this process because once money and once attention come into it, it is really easy to lose yourself. Yeah. Just speaking about that for a second, based on the advice that you received, when you're not feeling kind of the the creativity or the inspiration that you would hope for in a writing session, what do you do for yourself to try to get back in the zone, to, to kind of derive creativity and inspiration that you're looking for? What are some of the things that you do? It depends. I mean, I, I don't mean to be like, you know, weird answers, but it, it truly depends. <laughs> like, because sometimes you ask me some days and I might spend the day, I've got my headphones on. I might spend the day listening to music, which I used to feel badly about doing. I used to feel like you're wasting the day. You're not writing. But, but what I've learned is that that's part of my creative process. So my headphones are essential, you know, listening to music. Sometimes I'm a big fan of, of history podcasts because I learn a lot from history podcasts. And as a fantasy author, I'm constantly borrowing from real history. Um, just taking a day to sort of, I'm not writing. I'm physically not allowing myself to write. I'm just listening. I'm absorbing and kind of observing the world around me. So I do a lot of that. Sometimes it's going for a walk, physically moving, again, getting away from gadgets of all kinds and, and looking at the world around me. I'm I'm a writer. I see the story and everything. So sometimes just going outside, getting fresh air and getting away from digital, everything gets my brain going again. Um, it could be a call. It could be a call to, you know, my friends, my family, uh, to remind me that the world is bigger than my, than just beasts of prey in the world within it. Even though I love it very dearly, the world is so much bigger than that. So on any given day, and you know, and there are still days when I just watch movies that make me feel inspired. Like as a kid, what were the TV shows and the movies that made me want to be a, a storyteller? So it's going back to that inner child sometimes. In my acknowledgments for my second book, the last person, I'm putting quotes around person, that I thank in my acknowledgments is my dog. <laughs> I love <laughs> Who that. I would, I would happily show you if, she, if I could bring her with me. She's at home right now. But I thanked her because actually I had a really serious plot knot, like an issue in my second book that I, I had sat at the computer trying to figure it out. I had asked friends. I had written out different versions and I could not figure it out. And then one morning, I just took her for a walk. I put my headphones in. I took her for a walk. It was freezing cold. I didn't want to be outside, but I knew she needed a walk. And it was not a long walk. But by the time I got home from that walk, I had the solution this big solution to my book. And I, <laughs> I thanked her. You know, I said, I came up with my greatest ideas when I was with you on walks with you. And it's, sometimes it's that simple. And just as a creative, respecting your process, that's something that took me a really long time to learn is respect your process. It may not look like somebody else's. It may look totally chaotic to someone else, but who cares? It works for you. And that's what's important. 
One last question for you, Ayana. What are the things that are in your toolkit to help you work through imposter syndrome as well as your fear of failure? Yeah, so I've got my three things with me. One of them's on me, and I'll start with it. I've got my headphones here. My headphones are the thing that connect me to the music that inspires me, the books, the audiobooks, the podcasts, the things that kind of let me stop typing for a second and just listen and absorb. So my headphones are essential. I'm a bit of a headphone snob. <laughs> um, I've got next to me my Kindle. It took me a long time to move to the Kindle the Kindle side. And I still have like a pretty respectable collection of physical books. And sometimes I'll buy books on Kindle and in person. Um, but books are a huge, uh, huge thing for me. Number one, when I'm not feeling inspired, I can pick up a book and go back to being a reader for a while, which is nice. But I also look, when I look at all the books on my shelf and all the books here, some of them are, which are written by friends. I remember that every single one of these authors dealt with what I am dealing with now and actually continues to. There's this misbelief that once you've written five books, you must never feel this way again. They still feel this way. And so I know that I'm not alone. And I look at my library shelf and I feel a lot of comfort from my library of books and also from the books on my Kindle that I can take with me anywhere. And then I have my phone, um, which seems really you know simple, but my phone is what's connected me and helped me stay connected to the people who love me, no matter, I've lived all over the world at this point, And I know that there are people who are there to remind me that I do deserve the nice things that happen to me because I've worked hard, be it my mom, dad, friends, fellow authors. Um, my phone is what's kept me connected to people near and far. So it's, it's essential. <laughs> Ayana, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining Imposters and sharing just all of your insights around Imposters syndrome around the process of inspiration and how you also work through the idea of procrastination. Thank you so much for, for having me and for just and for understanding where I'm coming from too. It's, it's a weird place, but it, you're, I'm not alone in it. So thank you. Ayana has accomplished what many authors only dream of. And much like her success is impressive for her young age, so is her wisdom about how to deal with imposter syndrome and fear of failure. I think her strategies are ones we can all implement. When you're feeling imposter syndrome in your own life, find some physical evidence that reminds you of your accomplishments and the work it took to achieve them. If that fails, call on the people who have witnessed your hard work over the years. And if that fear of failure is starting to feel acute, remind yourself of your mission. Why are you doing what you're doing? And who are you letting down if you choose to succumb to those fears? Now, Imposters listeners, we need your help. We would love to hear from you on how the conversations on imposters have impacted your life. How does this show help you in your career or your personal life? Are there any particular guests or episodes that have stood out to you? And tell me the stuff that you haven't liked where you want the show to get better. Our goal is simple. We want to make this as valuable as humanly possible and make the show worthy of your time. So shoot me an email at alex at morningbrew.com and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. Our senior producer is Vishnu Vallabhanani and Makila Heck is our producer. Brian Henry is our executive producer and A.B. Silver is our booking producer. Our sound engineers are Dan Bauza and Rosemary Minkler. Greg Jacobs is our video producer and Sarah Singer is our VP of Multimedia. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Original music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler. 